Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico is brought to you by Light Street Media. This podcast is supported by Joe's Albums. You know how much I love vinyl and go in the record stores. Well, my favorite stop these days is Joe's Albums. Joe has two fantastic locations. The original store at 317 Main Street in Worcester, Massachusetts, and their newest stop out in the hipster college town of Northampton at 5 Market Street. Both stores have a great new releases section and a huge assortment of used records. You want to check out some cool record stores? Check out Joe's Albums in Worcester and Northampton, Massachusetts. And if you really want to geek out, go to joesalbums.com. We're also supported by Baby Loves Tacos, the fantastic Mexican-style cuisine joint located at 4508 Liberty Avenue in the Bloomfield section of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Check out the Baby Loves Tacos website at babylovestacospgh.com. Baby Loves Tacos, where everybody eats. I am really excited to talk to you about my new sponsor, Studio Float. There are so many of us creatives and podcasters who need a quiet home studio. Or maybe you're in a band that needs a soundproof rehearsal space so you can create whenever the mood strikes. For most of us creatives, noise control is a big issue. Studio Float is the simple solution. Studio Flow makes inexpensive, high-performance, patented sound isolating products called IsoRafts for use in new or retrofit applications. Studio Float IsoRafts completely isolate floors, walls, ceilings, creating a truly floating shell within a shell while preventing sound transfer to and from one space to an adjacent space. Visit studio-float.com for details and assistance with designing your project. Use the code BLOWINGSMOKE10 in the online order form and you'll get 10% off your order. Studio Float, life is loud, float above the noise. That's studio-float.com.
Welcome to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. That rockin' tune you just heard was Hey Girl, the brand new single from the Dolly Rots. And this week, we're going to play you an interview that we did with Kelly Ogden of the Dolly Rots. This is a band that's been around for 20 years. They're led by the husband and wife team of Kelly Ogden and Louis Cabasis. And we've been and they've been making records and touring consistently throughout that time. And of course, the only time that they didn't tour was when they had their two kids, River and Daisy. And guess what? They're now part of the touring team, and they also have been known to come on stage with their rock and roll parents, and we do talk about that in the interview. Uh, Kelly and I had a great conversation about the long relationship that her and Lewis have had. Uh, They met when they were teenagers and have been a couple ever since. It's not just a rock band, it's a love story. And we also get into the band's early days, their numerous studio albums, how they've overcome numerous drummers, which is not easy to do, switching your drummer over and over again, but they've been able to do it. And of course, we talk about all the great cover songs that they do, because they have a whole host of cover songs. They even put out a double album of all cover songs. It's been a staple in their music all along to go along with their great originals. The Dolly Rots are truly one of the positive stories we've shared with you on this show. Uh, They're a total proof of how perseverance can pay off in this difficult rock and roll world. And now, 20 plus years later, the band is more popular than ever. All right, what do you say we get to it? Here I am talking with Kelly Ogden of the Dolly Rots. Hello. Hello. How you doing? I'm great today. <laughs> I know you just got off tour and I was going to talk about that with you in a few minutes, but I wanted to go all the way back if we could. Um, you grew it. up in Florida, right? I did. I was born in Teaneck, New Jersey. When I was six weeks old, my parents took the auto train down to Tampa. Then I grew up at the beginnings. I was in, you know, in Tampa. And then my parents got a house in Lando Lakes, which is about a half hour north of Tampa. And that's where I grew up. So you basically went to high school and everything down there in Florida? Yep. Kin- kindergarten through high school with the same bunch of kids in a pretty small town at that time. Nice. Um, do you remember when you first started listening to music, how old you were and what kind of music you were listening to? Oh, man. I mean, my parents always had the radio on. It was always top 40 in my parents' cars. My dad used to whistle and sing along. My mom, she'd like tap her toes um, and the steering wheel, of course. Um, my grandfather, he listened to like well, some Irish music, some marching music, um, a lot of the older stuff, like, you know, Lawrence Welky kind of things, a little bit of jazz, but not so much. Um, but when I first started choosing what I wanted to listen to, um, I would go through my parents' records and they got us some of those Disney picture discs. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, we had those. We had a record player. And um, I loved the Four Seasons, Carly Simon, and Billy Joel. And that that was pretty much like what they had. It was like Disney and that. And so I actually started learning how to sing. Like the first things I ever sang um, was I I would sing along to the Four Seasons (laughs) records because I had headphones that were, I mean, they were like this kind, you know? Yeah. And I learned if I plugged them into the the jack that said Mike on the eight track or on the record player that one ear worked like a microphone. (laughs) And so I would sing through the speakers with the record. And, and I loved doing that. I used to do that all the time. How old were you when you started doing that? Oh, I was probably like five. So you really felt it early, early on. I loved, I love singing along to things. And, you know, I, I joined the chorus as soon as I could when I was a kid and, yeah, that was in probably fourth grade, maybe third grade. Um, but I've always liked singing um, just for fun, singing along. You know, when I finally could choose my music, it was a lot of, you know, top 40 stuff. Like, oh, God, at the time it was like Cindy Lauper and Madonna, Joan Jett. You know, those were like, like the early, early big ones. Early 80s? Yeah. Yeah. I was born in 79. So. Oh, OK. So it was probably a little later than that. Yeah, I might have been like 87. 
88. Yeah. Do you remember um, when you first started getting stuff? What you were were you buying records? Or were oh, your yeah. parents buying records for you? Our our local Walmart had a section with 45s. And me and my sister would save up our allowance. And man, I bought like I bought Madonna like a virgin, Michael Jackson bad. Um, Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy. I still nice. have all of these too. Um Belinda Carlisle circle in the sand. Um, like it was just like that time period. I, it, I loved top 40 pop music. I mean, it, it was the best. So was it just you and your sister as far as siblings? Yeah. I, my little, she's three years younger than me. It was the two of us and my parents who also just were very casual music listeners. Neither of them play an instrument. Um, my mom, we tease her about her singing, um, She's not very much of a singer. My dad had a really good singing voice, but you know, he didn't really sing in front of people or anything. You know, we'd hear him like in the car every now and then, but he'd usually whistle along or something instead. Um, my mom's like dad did play, he played piano by ear. Um, and so he also played harmonica and the spoons. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask if your parents actually were from New Jersey. Did they grow up in New Jersey? Yeah, yeah. my mom was born in Jersey City. And my dad was born in Teaneck, same hospital I was born in, Holy Name Hospital. It's also where my parents met. My mom was a nursing student and my dad was her patient. Oh, that's a, that's a real love so, story. It's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> he was like this bad boy on his motorcycle. And my mom's like this cute, perfect little nursing student. Didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. It's uh, a good love story. I think I read some, I know I read somewhere that you met Lewis when you were around 16. Is that right? We were 13. 13? He was 12, actually. It was in eighth grade. Um, he was born in Ecuador, lived in Texas until he was about eight. And then his dad is a civil engineer. He got a job in Tampa. And so much to, to Lewis's dismay, they left Austin and moved to Tampa. And then after a couple of years, here they moved to land of lakes and he swears that first day of middle school like his new school he was the new kid it was the middle of the school year toward the end i think um eighth grade he said he saw me walking down the hallway and he's like i swear it's like a movie it was like the birds <laughs> sang and i knew that i was gonna marry you and i don't know wow it, it took some convincing it took a lot of work on his part but eventually when we were 16 we started dating so was this before or after you started playing? It was after, um, but he he played guitar. He grew up playing piano. Um, it was really important to his parents. His dad plays piano and they listen to a lot of classical music in the house. And he got his first guitar from his uncle, I think when he was 15 or 16. Um, and so I knew that he played guitar cause he was like one of those kids that would bring it to school kind of, you know, it was like a right. dark, dark, grouchy kid. And I was like, Ooh, and I really like this boy who played drums in a band. And I was like, I think I want to learn to play guitar. And at that point I had, you know, started hearing about the riot girl movement, which I couldn't get any of the music cause I lived in Land Lakes, Florida. We didn't have a record store. I mean, literally the only place I could buy music was, those BMG catalogs oh, yeah. and Walmart. I mean, that, that was it. Um, but you know, I, I had heard of these cool things like riot girl and, you know, then when Nirvana came along, you know, it kind of, we learned about the breeders and the pixies and hole and dinosaur junior. And like, right then it was the time when, when things started changing musically for me. And, you know, I, I started liking, you know, punk rock and, and that sort of thing. Um, I also, I had become a big fan of, of girl groups and oldies music, like 1950s, 60s rock and roll. Um, because one thing Florida does have going for it used to be really good oldies stations because, you know, we had so many retirees down here. There were usually at least two really good oldies stations. And I don't know if they still even exist because I always listen to XM now and my own choices of music, which, which is kind of sad, but you know, Anyway, I, I had learned about music and I was like, you know what? I think I'm, I want to be in a band and I, I, I don't want to just like, you know, be the coat hanger. I, I want to be a musician. And so I, I saved up all summer. My parents were like, all right, we'll pay for half a guitar. 
we'll pay half, you pay half. But the deal is you have to take lessons. We're not just going to like buy this thing and you're going to like put it in the corner. And I was like, okay, deal. So I worked all summer at a, at a daycare and babysitting and stuff. And, and I bought my first guitar and I was like, Hey, Lewis, you think you could teach me a couple things? And he was stoked because it meant he got to come over to my house and be in my room. So he, he taught me, I think that first day he taught me about a girl by Nirvana No. and Friday I'm in love by the, the cure. <laughs> so, the, so you played guitar for a while before you picked up the bass. Yeah, I actually, our, our first band, which is pretty much the Jolly Rots, it was called No Chef. We were, we, we started, he taught me how to play guitar when we were juniors in high school. Then, you know, senior year of high school, I just kind of played around a bit, you know, learned, learned some folky stuff too. And then we went to, we went to the same college and we didn't even bring guitars with us. You know, we, uh, I was studying biology. He was going to do pre-med and we were very focused on, you know, being young adults, having our freedom and, and learning and experiencing the whole college thing that, you know, we didn't even think to bring guitars really. And then Which our college year, was this. Um, it's called New College. It's in in Florida. It was part of the school system. It was like the honors college of the school system. Really small liberal arts school. I think at the time there were 740 students. Oh wow, that is small. Yeah. And it was wonderful. It was it was a place for all the freaks and geeks and black sheep. And you know, it just it really spoke to me as a place where you could be very free and, and figure out who you are as a person and who you want to be. And right now, actually, the school is, is very much in the news. If you Google New College of Florida, there's a lot of really bad political crap happening to it. But at the time, mm -hmm. it was a wonderful, beautiful place. And that's where, you know, someone was like, hey, Lewis, you want to be in a band? You play guitar, right? And he was like, yeah. And, and I was there. I was like, Oh, I know how the story ends. You know, we had already been together for four and a half years. We lived together all four years of college. And I was like, oh no, he's going to go be in a band and we're going to break up. It's the end. I was like, cause it, it always is. Right. And so, you know, we were like 19 years old, maybe 20 at the time. And I was like, well, do you think I could be in the band? And they're like, that'd be so cool. If there was a chick in the band. And I was like, okay. And so I played rhythm guitar and I sang backing vocals for, you know, I think we played a total of eight shows or something. And, and then our bass player, he, you know, we wanted to get a little bit more serious. We wanted to make a recording and we were planning to take the year off after we graduated before, you know, he went to med school, I went to grad school. And so we're like, we gotta have, we gotta record something. We gotta record. And our bass player, really, really cool guy. He just didn't want to quit his job. He had like a nighttime job and we all had daytime jobs. <clears throat> so I had to take over bass playing. I had two weeks to transfer all my knowledge of, which was very, very, very small bit of knowledge of playing rhythm guitar to playing bass. And I also had to learn to sing all the songs because he sang the majority of stuff. Ooh. And so, so two weeks later, I was the bass player front person accidentally. And, and that band was called, it was called no chef, no chef. Yeah. It was an inside joke. We used to do this thing called model United nations. And there was this guy and he was like the cook for the staff. He was like, no, call me the chef or something <laughs> like that. And I, it was just like some dumb inside joke, but, but yeah, then, you know, things kind of snowballed a little bit. We really liked playing music and recording music. And Lewis and I loved writing music together um, we got married, we graduated, um, uh, with, you got married, you got married when you're still in college. Yeah, it was in, it was March 31st. Um, then we, we wrote our, our thesis. We did our, you know, our exams and then we decided, nope, we're going to take a year off. He took the MCATs ready to go to med school and, this around the same time we started getting very confused about what we should do because it was the year that Al Gore lost to George W. Bush. 2000. And so, you know, the night that that election, the election results came and we had an election party, you know, as one does when they're, you know, in college, you will have a party for any reason. And 
I actually didn't take my GRE exam because I was supposed to take it the next morning. And we just had like a total meltdown. Like, well, what are we going to do? What What's going to happen to the world? The world's going to end, you know, and, and, you know, we're like 17, 18 years old. It, it, it really crushed us, you know, because we were Al Gore all the way. And, and also we happen to be in Florida at a very liberal school where enough of our friends voted for Nader that we lost the election. You know, so it, it like we just had a, a crisis, a serious crisis for for young people. And, you know, it was right around that time when we started playing with the idea of like, let's just, you know, Lewis, take your MCATs. I'm not going to take the GRE yet. Let's graduate, get married, and then we're going to move to California and just screw around for a year. And so we can establish residency. Grad school will be cheaper. I wanted to go to Berkeley. It was going to be, that was our plan. Um, so yeah, we get married March 31st of, of 2001. We, we graduate new college. I have a bio degree, got neurobio degree. And then we spent all the time leading up to the next January recording and writing and learning to be a band. And then we moved to California, the most naive, poor, <laughs> stupid young kids. And we just, you know, it, it took a while, but we found a scene that we really felt we belonged in. Um, there was a scene happening at Mr. T's Bowl in Highland Park and also a, a scene called Kiss or Kill that you know, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Became where we learned how to band. And so, you know, once that started happening, we, we self-recorded our first album. We went out to shows. We met and hung out with everybody we could possibly talk to. We were working day jobs um, and then going to shows every night and just doing the hustle. And then, you know, we got called to a couple auditions, like blind auditions, and we got an HP ad that aired in movie theaters before Lord of the Rings. And at that point we got a publishing deal and it was like, all right, we're going to do this. You know, okay, you're, for one you're, year. You're answering the questions before I'm asking them. I oh. like that. <laughs> um, so this is already eat your heart out is already in done at this point. And yeah, and so we had recorded, recorded demos. And then when we got, we got this audition, you know, for the HP ad, when we went to go do the re-record, because most of the time when you get to do something that's going to be in film or TV, they, if they can, they, they want you to re-record it. So they own the master, you know, and they also wanted it to sound even crappier, which was hard to do at that point. I mean, we pretty much sucked. Um, but in order to make this crappy re-record, they booked out Capitol Records Studio B for a mm. whole day and had an engineer there. And so we showed up and it was me, Lewis and our drummer, Josh. And we had been preparing to record Eat My Heart Out. Like we rehearsed many days a week when we weren't playing shows, like we were so ready. We walked in and we're like setting up and the engineer on the session, he like met us. There's like a walkway in between the control room and the live room where there were like piano set up or something. And he like stops us. He's like, hey, please tell me you have a full album ready to record today. And we were like, hell yeah, we do. We are so ready. And he was like, good, because we're going to do it. And so we were do this re-record thing. It took, I want to say like 45 minutes, hour and a half. We did two different songs, a couple different versions. And then the ad exec dudes are like, all right, peace out. Have fun. You can hang out. You know, we've got the room till midnight. And it was like, okay. So they left and the engineer on the session was John Fields. Who, wow, you've worked with him a long time. Yeah, we just had our 20th anniversary. And, wow. And it was just one of those things where we were prepared. Like we just, we keep being prepared every time we are offered the next step. You know, like we have just been ready and, and we always say yes, even when we're not ready. And then we find a way to be ready. And so, you know, we recorded Eat My Heart Out that day. We would do bass, guitar, and drums. We do a pass of that. And then we would go back through and do main vocals and a second guitar. And that is the bulk of Eat My Heart Out. I called it Eat Your Heart Out before. Sorry. Um, oh, so 
was was lookout already in in play here or because no so so that album we recorded it and then we self-released it um because we were playing all these shows rodney bingenheimer has started playing it on k on the rock yeah and um at the time it was in indy 103 was happening this awesome alternative rock station in la and so you know, like Dickie Barrett had us on. Yeah, he was playing us. Rodney's playing us. We're Steve playing Jones like... was on that station too. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was. And we're playing these awesome shows. So we're like, we're just gonna press them up and put them out, put it out ourselves. And then we also sent it out to you know Side One Dummy, Lookout Records, Fat Records, and Lookout was like, hey, you know, we've got this new imprint. It's called Panic Button. You know, we just got it from you know, screeching weasel dudes. And, you know, we want to, we want to put your record out on it. And so this guy, Jeff Oppenheimer was, was our guy. And, and we put out our, re-released it on lookout. And then we hit the road and we just tore our asses off. I'm pretty sure I saw you at the, around that time at the Abbey lounge, which was in Cambridge, Somerville. Oh, I love that venue. I'm try- I was trying to remember the bands that were on that bill that day, but I couldn't remember because a few couple local Boston bands played because that's where I was living at that time. And I remember seeing you guys there. It was a little d- dink. You played there more than once, right? Oh, it was like our, our Boston home away from home. I loved playing at that place. We, um, we actually name drop it in our song, Out of L.A., you do? We do. Wow. There's a line. It's like the Abbey Lounge in Boston. You should listen to it later. It's it's one of my favorite songs. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, um, it's a bit of a breeder's rip off the baseline. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, there was a little bit of a t- time in between that uh, that record and your next record, but I do remember you guys pl- toured a lot, and you've been like that all along. You're just a, a machine as far as the road goes. Um, in 2007, because I'm awesome, um, that kind of like really put you guys out there. Because uh, now, now, how did the Black Heart thing come together? Did Joan see you guys and like you guys? Because I think I heard that. Yeah, well, we, you know, we we were touring, and you know, when we weren't touring, we were still working day jobs um, in LA. Our job best best humans in the world to allow us to keep leaving i mean we would go on tour for like eight nine weeks and our coworkers would cover for us i worked at the california science center and lewis worked at a lab corp lab but still these people just wow. were rooting for us and you know they allowed it until it just was impossible um but you know we would tour we would get home we'd work our day jobs and we would write music and so we actually had because i'm awesome like the whole album ready to go and then lookout folded and so that's when you know then lookout was like oh you know we're dead and so we're like well we've got this amazing album and we don't have a record label and then we we hit warp tour that summer and so i think we were on it i don't i don't remember i think it was like a six week stint on warp tour and we were in a van um it was gritty it was really hard um but we did it. And the second to last day we were playing in Salt Lake city and we had been handing out demos of because I'm awesome with the song on it. Um, just to everybody, we were selling it at our merch table. I think it was four songs. It was because I'm awesome. Best friends, hot Jackie Chan and maybe feed me, pet me. I don't remember exactly, but we were selling, you know, like an EP second to last day. I was like, all right, I got to hand this out you know, to people, maybe, you know, they'll listen to it. So I, I gave one to Laura Jane Grace because well, against me was my favorite band on the cool. tour. Um, I gave one to Fat Mike because, well, Fat Records was like, all right, maybe you'd like it. And then after Joan Jett played that day, I was like at the bottom of the stairs next to the stage and I was like holding the record. And, you know, she comes off the stage. I watched her every day if I wasn't like at our merch booth or playing. And she comes down the stairs. I'm like holding the CD. And I was like, oh, like I couldn't get my body to talk to her. But it's like my feet started moving. And (laughs) then I was just standing in front of her like an idiot. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm in a band called the Dolly Rots. And she's like, I know. I watch you like every day. I really like your band. Really? Yeah. Because she would ride her bike around and just watch everybody. Cool. And um, I was like, well, here's the thing. We've got this album ready. We were on Lookout Records, but, you know, they're 
not putting out albums anymore and we're looking for a record label. And, you know, she just is like, sure, cool. I'll listen. Thanks a lot. And, you know, she like puts it under her arm with her like shirt and she walked away and, and I was like, all right, well, she's never going to listen to that, but at least I got to talk to her. And so that night, um, our drummer, Amy and I rode the bus with no effects as poor Lewis and our merch girl fuzzy drove behind in the van. And that night, fat Mike thoroughly confused me, pretty much told me I needed to be more of a dude and, you know, be more sexual and powerful on stage. And, you know, I needed to sex it up a bit and dress better. Cause I was just wearing like jeans and t-shirts and stuff. And he and, and our drummer, Amy had conversations and we got home and Amy was like, I'm out. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm done being on the road. We're like, okay. And then, you know, we're, we're just kind of bummed. You know, it was, it was just a very, a very cool summer with a lot of opportunity. And we got home, Amy quits. We're working our day jobs, no record label. It was like, well, maybe that was it. You know, it was a fun run and thought maybe that was the end of everything. And then Black Heart Records called. They're like, hey, you know, we listened to the album you gave Joni and we really like it. We'd love to put it out. Was it Ken Kenny that called you? It was, I think it was Carrie Ann, Kenny's daughter. K Carrie she was Ann. running the label at that time. Right. And <laughs> so, you know, we went back in the studio with Kenny. He added a few like production things to some of the songs. And, and then we were off and running again. I have to ask you whose idea it was to do that Melanie cover. Well, <laughs> it's funny. So that song is one of my all-time favorite songs. My my best friend. Me too. <laughs> yeah, when I was like 16, 17, my best friends, they were these sisters, Kimmy and Allie. Their dad had the best record collection. This cool old hippie guy, big white beard, like he used to he used to hide his weed in his gravity boots in his closet, which meant we totally found it. Um, so we used to listen to his records. And the minute I heard Brand New Key, I was like, what is this? This is my favorite song. And so I had it on a cassette tape and I used to play it in my car all the time. All my friends hated it, you know, because I used to play it so much probably. Um, but, you know, I was listening to like Melanie Sofka, Simon and Garfunkel and Operation Ivy. Like I, I was just a weird brain. Wow, that you know? is weird. <laughs> and the Ronettes and the Donnas, you know, it was just like, I don't know that it was my jam. But we had a, a development deal with Universal Records and this woman, Jolene Cherry, she's like, have you ever heard this song called Brand New Key? And I was like, have I heard the song? I was like, it's like, it's my favorite song. And she's like, I think you should cover it. And so like we went back in and and recorded that one. And it was much harder to record than I thought it would be because sometimes you love a song so much and you think you know it. Then you go to perform it and make it yours and it just feels weird. It's like karaoke, you know. Two, two things I definitely want to get into you with is drummers, because you've been yeah. through a few, and cover songs. But I'm going to kind of, you got so many records here that I wanted to, just, I know <laughs> yeah. A Little Messed Up was a great follow-up to uh, Because I'm Awesome. It, it was more accessible poppier and i could see that you guys were changing a little bit and i'm going to fast forward here to all the way to the live record because i thought that i was listening to it this morning mm -hmm. ricky six ricky sticks was with you guys at that point on yeah. drums that record is a really good live record i mean thank you <laughs> sure you hear that a lot it was terrifying to do was there a lot of people at the roxy when you recorded that yeah we were actually opening for bowling for soup who oh. never play in LA. So it was a sold out show. Um, and we had been on tour for like the whole summer. You did a lot of shows with that band. A lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we really learned how to be a band from, from touring with people that we had always looked up to. I mean, we were so lucky to play shows with Joan Jett. Um, the Go-Go's took us out. Buzz Cox took us out. And then Bowling for Soup, I mean, they really just like adopted us. They they took us on a whole bunch of tours and not just as an opening band, but like they'd be like, all right, we're heading out, just hop in the bus. And so it would just be the three of us, it was me, Lewis, our drummer, Chris. We would just fly to Dallas, hop in the bus and play on their gear. And, you know, that that was how we toured a lot, you know, after, I guess after... 
what album would it have been? Self-titled album. And then the acoustic album. And then that, that kind of slowed down after Barefoot and Pregnant because we had a baby. <laughs> um, but we would follow them at that point in an RV. Um, but yeah, they took us around the world. I mean, we would have never gone to the UK had it not been with them, you know, with the safety net of opening for a band that's, they're huge in the UK. Did you, um, did you guys have the same agent all along uh, getting you on all these tours? Or have you gone through a lot of agents? Booking um, we've agents. actually been with our booking agent. We work with um, Katie Perry. Oh yeah. She's good. Space. Yeah. We've been with her since, oh man, probably like 2009. So you've been with her for a while. Yeah. We've been with her for a long time. It <laughs> took a little while for us to find an agent that really understood us though. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of it was just relationships or introducing ourselves to bands or sending emails like, Hey, I'm in this band called the Dolly Rots. We love you. Can you take us on tour? You know? So, I mean, we put ourselves out there a lot. We went to lots and lots of shows. Um, that's how we got to open for the muffs. You know, the muffs of course knew of us from kiss or kill, but you know, we just asked. Sometimes you just have to ask, which is very yeah. uncomfortable. And like, there's some people that are askers and then there are the rest of us. And I get so nervous asking for anything, but you know, we, we would just do it sometimes, you know? I don't know if it was a uh, Melanie was on my show recently. I don't know if that was the early version of the muffs that you played with, or was it after Melanie was already gone? It was after Melanie. It was the yeah. three piece muffs usually. Yeah. Um, in 2017, you put out uh, Whiplash Splash, and I really liked your cover of American Girl. I'm going to talk about covers for a few minutes here. What made you cover a Tom Petty song? Was that because of Florida, or I mean, what? Or did you just were you a fan? Well, I I do love Tom Petty. The album Wildflowers came yeah. out at like this perfect time for me, and you know, he's Gainesville guy. But we actually recorded that one the day he died. You did. Um, yeah, we we're like, you know what? Why don't we just we'll, we'll do a cover when when we lived in L.A. We used to volunteer a lot at Midnight Mission um, on Skid Row, and he was really involved there. Did a lot of work with them, fundraising and even volunteering. So when he died, we were like, all right, let's just do a Tom Petty song. And we'll put up um, Bandcamp, and then we can you know send all the donations in his name to Midnight Mission. And so that's I mean that was why we recorded that one. Um, and an American Girl just seemed like the right one to do. It's fun. It's yeah. For anyone out there listening, you got to check out the Dolly Rots Bandcamp page because it is like loaded. <laughs> with, 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 so I mean, much stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. But some of your uh, it lists all the people that bought it, and it's like looks pretty good. It's, it's you got to be happy about that. Oh yeah. I mean, we've we've been really really lucky. There have been times in our existence where it's been like, God, can we just like get a hit song? You know, we got really close with because I'm awesome. And it's like, man, it'd be so cool just to know what that's like, you know, but, but then we just, we always take a step back and it's like, but we've managed to have this career, which has just steadily grown with real fans that, you know, we meet, you know, when we play shows, we hang out my voice is still hoarse, not from singing. It's, it's from talking for one or two hours to every single person that wants to talk to me after every single show. And, you know, it's, it's these relationships that we've built with people who are now friends, you know, they're fans, but they're friends too. Cause you know, we've known some of them for 20 years, you know, and, and I feel like having, you know, that foundation beneath our band and, you know, if they're like our mountain that, that we can rely on, you know, it, it has given us the ability to self-release albums, you know, after Blackheart, we were like, you know, we're going to do this on our own for an album and see what happens. It was when, you know, Amanda Palmer made a million dollars on Kickstarter. It was like, well, I think we've got enough fans to at least pay for a recording. And so, you know, we started to really trust our fan base and i think we could do that because they're real fans you know we're not a band that had like some big hit that you know people know one song of you know the people that like our band like they like our band 
band and they know our band and, you know, they know us as a family and they know us as a couple. And so I think, you know, that actually has given us a lot more as artists than, you know, just a quick blip on the success. I think this is when we have to insert uh, River and Daisy into the conversation here <laughs> yeah. because I, I think it's really interesting how you guys have balanced parent parenthood and the rock and roll lifestyle. And I just saw, you know, I follow you guys on, on social media and I saw that they were with you on your Midwest tour. Was that the first time they both were with you on tour or did this start a few years ago or have they been on all the tours in the last few years? They have been on tour since they were born, both of them. Um, wow. Yeah, they were, they were each born in November because we we have to schedule our lives around everything. And we got very, we were very, very lucky having babies. Um, we got pregnant in the spring <laughs> because we also are self-employed musicians. And so with our insurance, we needed to only pay one very large deductible per child. So if we hadn't gotten pregnant within the calendar year, we would have like taken a break and tried again. Um, but yeah, they were both born in November, the same week. Daisy's birthday is November 22nd. His is November 25th. And then the idea was we would be able to have the holidays for me to recover from the births in January. And then we would be back on tour in March, like normal. So we also, you know, before we had River, you know, we sold our tour van. We got rid of our rehearsal space. We bought a house in Florida, super cheap. Um, we we definitely planned it out so that, you know, we were going to focus on a family at that point. You know, we we had our tears. We had our breakdowns thinking like there was no way we would actually be able to do the touring. Maybe we could, you know, still make records, but we kind of didn't expect to be able to do this because there are no examples of people successfully doing it that we could find really. And so not at our level, you know, there are plenty of people that tour with children on a whole different level. Yeah. You know? And I, I remember being was about seven months pregnant. We had just played a show at the Troubadour in LA and, you know, I had a little baby bump, but I was wearing a dress that like kind of covered it. And then, you know, a few days later, we got offered these dates with Black Flag in Southern California. Wow. And and it was going to be in January. And I was like, well, if my due date's in November. <laughs> I, I can do it. I can do it. And so we said yes. And we just kept saying yes after that, you know, because I figured if I can play shows, it was like a bunch of House of Blues gigs. Um. If I could handle that, I ended up having an emergency C-section. So it was like I was, God, six, seven weeks post-C-section with a newborn playing shows. It's like, okay, wow. if we can do that, then, you know, let's keep going. So then we did South by Southwest. Then we booked some Texas dates. And then, you know, we started small. We would do like five days at a time or seven days at a time. Um. And then eventually we we ended up figuring out a way to to make it work. And it definitely takes our crew and our tour family, like all working together. You know, it's not easy, um, but, you know, the kids, it's just been normal for them. They look forward to it. They love it. You know, our drummers are their like Tia's and their uncles. And, you know, it's it's been really, really cool. And I mean, these kids have already seen and experienced more than you know most of us get to in our entire lives it's incredible i think you're doing an amazing job yes it's crazy i, I didn't want to I mean, it's just crazy but... yeah i didn't want to skip past a few records because i know daydream explosion was a pretty important record for you guys and it kind of like even got you a bigger audience and then um now the now the double album of covers like you, you guys are like up there with the Ramones and me and the Gimme Gimmies now is one of the premier cover bands, you know. Uh, how did you decide to like, uh, by the way, I have to tell you that Happy Together and um, I Like American Girl, Teenage Kicks. Those are my favorites, you know, because oh, you have love, so yeah. many covers. Yeah. You have so many, so many. So yeah. did you purposely go down this rabbit hole? Excuse my. Uh... No, it, it was the result of of covid to be honest oh, we, yeah so like i i got i 
I have a DJ gig now on Little Stevens Underground Garage. I'm the like overnight early morning person. So I have a four hour a day radio gig it's every weekday morning. Um, so I started that in October of 2019. And then I think we played our last show. It was a benefit show in Baltimore around, it was like mid-February of 2020. We had our regular March tour booked of the Midwest and everything fell apart. Took our kids out of school. We did the Zoom school thing. And for the next year, year, year and a half, you know, we just, we were home and it was COVID. You were back in Florida at this point, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, We moved back to Florida when our older kid River was six months old. We're in Florida. Are you in the same area? Yeah, we're in Tampa. Tampa, uh, okay. Really close to downtown. Okay. So you um, were there so, when COVID hit. Yeah. yeah. Um, fortunately, because in LA, you know, we have one bedroom apartment downtown. And <sighs> in Florida, we've got a nice little house with a backyard. You know, we have neighbors with children and parks we can walk and bike to. And so it was really, really fortunate that we were here. Um, but all that niceness that was happening you know we got to be close as a family meant we couldn't tour um you know I was still getting used to having this radio gig um we were trying to manage you know River being in school on the screen he was so little it was like really hard we were doing a lot of teaching and we were also playing a show every Sunday online on stage it and so I would have to like do all the radio stuff mom teach co-parent and try to still at least be active on social media with the dolly rots and learn a set of like either covers or dolly rot songs for every sunday's show and so my brain was melting lewis's brain was melting we were just all on top of each other and we couldn't write music we would try like we'd go in the studio we have a backyard studio we'd go in there and we would try and it was just we had no inspiration. Like it was like our life source was just like, you know, dwindling yeah. away. And so it came time to, to do our, our plans for like our, our Christmas merch. And Lewis was like, we have to put something out. And we didn't even feel like we had a solid EP's worth of music. And so we're like, what if we finally do the B-sides and rarities thing? And so we called Wicked Cool Records, which is who we release most of our stuff with now. And we called Dennis and we were like, all right, if we can put together a B-Sides and Rarities thing, would you guys want to put it out? Oh no, we actually called him because we were like, listen, we're going to put out this little B-Sides and Rarities thing. Can we have a couple of the songs we recorded last album, a couple B-Sides? And he was like, yeah, sure. But do you want to put it out through Wicked Cool? We were like, okay, would you want to? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. So we're like, all right, but we want to have it out in time for Christmas. So when, when would we have to turn it in? It was a Thursday. And he's like, all right, hold on a minute. Let me look at the schedule. And he's like, I got to have it all by Monday. <laughs> so it happened. Um, but it it meant Lewis just going through, I mean, like all the hard drives. Um, some of those covers are from, you know, me recording on a laptop, singing into a microphone. Some of them are from like real studios. It's like everything over you know, a span of probably like 18 years, a lot of that stuff. And so Lewis went through and kind of tried to master things so it would go together. Um, and we, we got the artwork. We asked SBAM, this guy, Stefan, he lives in Austria. He does a lot of our artwork. We're like, is there any chance in hell you can put together a double CD with art for down the rabbit hole? And he turned it around in time. I mean, it was, it was just a miracle that that happened, but we just didn't have anything fresh to put out. So that's why we did that one. Um, well, then that great. came out. <laughs> I, I mean, it, I'm so glad we did it. You know, we've just been sitting on a lot of that. It's on Bandcamp, some of it, but to have it all as one collections, really cool. And it, it helped us realize how much we've done and how long we've been doing it. Well, it's fantastic. So. I love it. Um, I want to talk about the new single with you, but first I want to ask you, because I'm curious about this, is it, it, it must be, it must have been difficult over the years with all the drummers. I mean, how, 
I know every band always, not every band, but a lot of bands, because I've worked with a lot of bands. There's always one thing that always like, can't find the right bass player. Can uh, for you guys? It was drummers. I mean, how have yeah. you, how have you dealt with that over the years? I mean, in the early days, it was a struggle because we always wanted to be a three piece, like a solid three piece. You know, because you know, you look at bands that that have longevity, and a lot of the time, it's it's a core of three usually. You know, or you know, it it was just something that we desired as musicians and kind of as kids with an you know idealistic notion of what a band should be and you know so we we really tried to to keep it like that um but then there came a point where you know amy our drummer through eat my heart out you know we, we the drummer on eat my heart out josh you know he he ended up getting into a relationship then he had a kid and so it was like all right well it's time for him to grow up who can play now so that was like, well, Amy toured with us for a number of years. And then Amy was like, I'm burnt out. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And then she said, go ask Chris Black. He's not drumming in Bang Sugar Bang anymore. And that was one of the Kiss or Kill bands. So then we toured with Chris Black for a good amount of time. And then he got married and kind of had to grow up. So it's kind of like the longer we've been a band, you know, the more people have had to get on with life in a way, you know. And so now it's it's really been kind of awesome to have different drummers in rotation we're still playing with the same same drummers it's just you know whoever's available at the time and you know we actually just started playing with our friend simon his band the king cheetah was part of kiss or kill as well and when we were in the uk we did a tour of the uk last last fall with lit and bowling for soup and he nice. came out just to say hi, he and his wife, Nancy. And his wife, Nancy, was like, you know, if you're playing over here, you could have Simon drum, you know, buy anybody a plane ticket. And we're like, okay. So then we had this tour in the UK in February. And we're like, Simon, do you want to play? And so we've known him 20 years. He was like, That's yeah. convenient. Yeah. And Justin, you know, Justin was our drummer for the the last at least three or four years. Probably, I'm terrible with time. Um, <laughs> but drummer was our, or Justin was our core drummer for a very long time most recently and, you know he has a son and he's married and you know he kind of has to be home more so we were like all right you know we'll see if if simon can do the uk and and so then it worked out great and justin couldn't do march he was like all right simon why don't you come so now we've got in rotation we've got ricky if she's not out you know doing her thing um we've got aixa drums in go betty go we still got Justin. Now we've got Simon. Like we, we have a lot of drummers. That's and, great. And it's really cool. It's it's fun <clears throat> for the kids. It's good for me and Lewis because it, it keeps things a little fresh. I mean, we're celebrating our 22nd wedding anniversary this weekend. Congratulations. You know, like, thank you. But it's, it's cool to have different people coming in and out of life. They're really good friends that, you know, can help always bring perspective and, and positivity. And so, you know, the drummer thing at this point has really been a blessing. I think it's, it's kept the band from feeling stagnant. I mean, I think for fans too, you know, we got a lot of songs we have to play, you know, a lot of shows now we've got so many records and they're like a few from each album we have to play. And I feel like having different drummers can keep things fresh, you know, of course, we still write new music. Now the kids are part of the show. They're doing their own thing in the middle of the set. And they do like a stand-up routine. Their idea, I don't know. River just started telling dad jokes. And I don't know. It's it's just, it's grown into its own thing. But, you know, the the drummer thing really did kill us for a little while. But But now it's actually really, really wonderful. You seem to have a really positive attitude about it, though. You know, I mean, having gone through a lot of dramas, I didn't know if this would be a good question to ask or not. But you seem to make. Oh, yeah. You're, you're making giving it a positive spin. So I well, think that's good. And we're we're good friends with with almost all of them. I mean, things didn't end badly, you know, except a couple. Um, but, you know, the, the vast majority of people we've worked with professionally, musically, we've toured with, you know, we still have really good relationships with people. And I think that's really important. And I'm really proud of us too, because it means we're not assholes. You know, it, it's just, it's the way that 
we choose to live life. You, yeah, know? you guys are a happy band. I've noticed that yeah. over the years, which is a good yeah. thing. So you put a new single out, Hey Girl. And of course, you put a cover on the B-side. Were you a Divinals fan? or did, did? Oh, my God. When that song came out, I loved it. I was really young. I was, I was probably like eight, nine. I'm not sure. And I would just sing it in the car. And I think I sang it. I didn't really know what it was about exactly but I knew it like kind of made my parents uncomfortable, which made it even better. And, you know, now I'm like, Oh, I hope, I hope some kids do this to their parents in the car with my version now. Cause it's hilarious, you know? <laughs> and I mean, kids just like music. They don't, you know, they don't get all of the nuances and yeah, I, I love that song. And we were, we were trying to figure out what cover to do. Cause um, Wicked Cool, like Stevie Van Zant, he loves putting out seven inches and usually the flip side is a, a cover song. And so, you know, I was like, all right, well, what is it going to be? And Lewis put it out on the internet. And I guess Brian Ray, he's in a band called the Bayonets. He's also, he's like Paul McCartney's guitar player. Yeah. He's yeah. yeah. Amazing musician. He and Kathy Valentine from the Go-Go's both said, you guys have to do, I touch myself, the divinals. And we we're like, okay, well, wow. here we go. Like, let's do it. So, so that was how that one came about. And I mean, the, the covers that we choose have to be songs that we love. I mean, I think the great thing about doing covers is is bringing something that's an influence or something that you love to to people that might not be familiar with it, especially with more obscure things. And I mean, kids, kids these days, you know, they don't <laughs> they don't listen to the radio. They just listen to their stuff that they want to hear. So if I can introduce them to some other music that, you know, influenced me, then, you know, that's kind of a bonus. I love what you guys have been doing over the years. And I, people really appreciate that. What a hard working band you are, you know? So uh, the one last thing I wanted to ask you is, do you listen to a lot of new music? I mean, I know you're a DJ too. I mean, but you, you guys play a lot of old stuff too on there, but personally, what do you like to listen to when um, you're not, I mean, I you mean, pick I your do... own, you pick your own songs out for your show? Um, so I, I pick from the playlist, which, you know, it's when I started this gig, it was described as like, Madge, you're, you're in Stevie Van Zandt's living room with the greatest jukebox you've ever seen. And it's like his favorite songs. And, you know, the idea behind the station is also about music education and, and connecting, you know, what a song is about to its time in history and how that led to other things or you know what what record label it came out on and why that's important and who produced that and you know what other stuff did they produce and so it's about making a lot of connections with the music and you know so a lot of what I do is research about the songs on the station and I have a, a partner in that part Tom Calhoun he is a friend of the band I've known him for probably 20 years. Um, but he does a lot of the research for me. Um, and I do get a lot of submissions of new music. So I listen to all of it. Like sometimes I will go for a little stretch before I'll go and I'll just like all day, I'll listen to all the songs in my inbox. Has anything blown you away lately? Um, God, I haven't listened since I got back from tour. Um, but you know, when we do like a band, we, we tend to you know, bring them to the forefront. Um, the Von Tramps, they're an awesome band. You um, just toured with them, right? Yeah. They're yeah. like new ska, really awesome humans. And so, you know, that's why we bring them on tour with us when, when we're on tour, you know, a lot of the time bands will message and be like, Hey, can I open the show? And we always listen to their music and we're like, you know, yeah, reach out to the venue. Um, but yeah, I mean, nothing, oh, it's terrible, but like nothing in particular right now. Um, we just toured in the UK with this young band Royals. They're, they're a great young band. Um, but I fall into the same trap that a lot of people do. And I, I go to music for comfort a lot of the time. So if I've got a moment, like sometimes I'll just go and I'll listen to, you know, my favorites and, you know, zone out a little bit, but I don't get a lot of time to do that. You know, usually if I'm in the car and with my kids, which means I'm listening to kids bop or <laughs> underground garage. Um, and then otherwise, I mean, we really do hustle Lewis and I, so it's a lot of working, not a lot of listening. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to of me. Of course. It was I'm a awesome huge fan of what you do and the way you do it. I love Thank the you. family <laughs> affair thing and everything. It's all really cool. Thank you Thank so you. much. Yeah. Thanks for the time. My pleasure. My best friend's hot. My best friend's hot. No matter what I do, won't love me. Why don't you come or go to please? Yeah, you don't know. I brush my hand across your knee. Just take it slow. You know, I'm not gonna tell you all the things I might like Won't you apologize to me, to me, to me For being such a tease, a tease, a tease You know, I'm not gonna tell you all the things I might like My best friend's hot, my best friend's hot No matter what I do, you love me to the first album for that gem still one of my favorite Dolly Rot songs that's called My Best Friend's Hot Kelly really is something else and it was a pleasure talking with her they've always been a cool band the Dolly Rots they have a great vibe and to be able to raise two kids and bring them on the road like they have wow just absolutely fantastic thank you so much Kelly for coming on the show and uh, this is a band that's going to be around for a while so if you have a chance to see them they tour a lot check them out man great band the Dolly Rots if you want to support this show we have a Patreon page it's patreon.com forward slash Twisted Rico I'd love your support check it out we're putting some exclusive stuff up, stuff up there that we haven't done before and uh, go there, become a Patreon, a patron, as they say, and check out the exclusive stuff, and you'd be doing me and this show a big favor. Uh, you can reach me anytime, by the way, at twistedrico at gmail.com. We're also available on all the social media platforms, and I urge you to check out our YouTube page, where you can actually watch the Zoom interview that I did with Kelly on the YouTube page. So please check that out. And let me remind you that if you go to studio-float.com and use the code BLOWINGSMOKE10 in the online form, you'll get a 10%. You'll get 10% off your order. That's right. 
Uh, thank you so much for listening. And as we get to the end of the show and you hear the song that plays Cigarette Burns by Milk Toast and Company, I just want to let you know that my good friend James McAndrew, the singer of Milk Toast and Company, and his band have a new single out. It's called Spinning. So go online, check it out. It's probably up on Spotify and everywhere else. Milk Toast and Company are a great band, and I'm not just saying that because we use their song at the beginning of end, <laughs> the beginning and the end of every one of these shows. And that's going to do it for this week. Till the next time we say goodbye, this is Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. Keep the rock and roll alive. Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico is brought to you by Light Street Media. Oh no.